and a happy new year from Delving to Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Liz! This is episode 10. Now let's do a quick roundup of how to contact us. Our main protocol is delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook as Delving to Draft. Our email address is delvingtodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I'm personally on Twitter as at Rabak. That's R-A-V-A-K underscore. Now, I wasn't able to get a hold of Steve for this episode. I'm not entirely sure where he's disappeared to in this uh, New Year's Efer drunken stupor, whatnot. But instead, I was able to thankfully grab a guest host in the form of Liz. So, Liz, tell us who you are and what you do and where we can get in contact with you, etc. I'm Liz, and I am one of the hosts on the Nearly Enough Dice podcast, your weekly geeky catch-up of everything that's awesome in the world of geekdom. And you can catch me, Liz, at nearlyenoughdice.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Kronvek, at C-R-O-N-V-E-K. Right, we will jump straight into the news, and it's been a little while since the news, but Grand Prix Indianapolis was on the 22nd and 23rd of December, if I remember correctly, in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana. The format was limited, and the winner was Ben Stark. Congratulations, Ben. Grand Prix Denver is the next Grand Prix coming up in Denver, Colorado. The form- format is a legacy, and it will be on the 5th and 6th of January 2013, the first 2013 Grand Prix, although not the first Grand Prix of the 2013 Grand Prix season, because Indianapolis somehow fell in 2013. Uh, final piece of news, Jewel of Planeswalkers 2013. I think I've spoken about this practically every week. They're releasing a third deck pack, and Ooh. I would presume it's going to be the final deck pack, because they've released three deck packs for the previous two games. This time they're finally going to finish off all of the guilds. Demir is appearing in a deck called Rogue's Gallery. And the second deck is apparently a five-color crazy multicolor monstrosity called Mana Mastery. So that will surely be interesting to play. And for once I'll actually want to have Terramorphic Expanse in my decks. Seems these. Seems these. Right, uh, our first regular feature is Pop Quiz. Now, initially I was going to ask these questions of Steve... However, saying Steve isn't here, and it would be a bit unfair to ask my guest uh, to answer these questions. Yeah. Would you like to ask me the questions I've come up with and see if I know the answers to the questions I was about to ask? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. Because I know exactly, I don't know what the answers are. But I will test you. I have it here. Can you name all of the Return to Ravnica mechanics? So this is specifically, I was talking about the, the mechanics period on all the guild cards, because obviously we're not talking about First Strike, etc. Obviously. Obviously. So, uh, starting with the White Guilds, we shall say Battalion for Boros, okay. Populate for Selesnia, Azorus has Detain, and Orzov has Extort. Extort? Extort. That sounds like a that decent pronunciation. Like, they sound like good answers. I'm going to accept those. Okay. Uh, we will also say Overload for the Izzet, Evolve for the Simic, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to rush you on your answer here. Demir has Cypher. Okay. Finally, Gruel has Blood Rush. Mm-hmm. Golgari has Scavenge. Okay. And the 10th guild is... Oh! Unleash with Rakdos. Hey. I'm going to accept all of those answers, because, you know, I can see two of the answers. And you said them both right, so let's just say that was 100% correct. So let's go for the next part, which is, can you name all of the Ravnica... Yeah. Can you name all of the Ravnica block mechanics? What's special about this block? Uh, well, except for the fact I wasn't playing during this block. This is when R- R- Ravnica first came out. So, let's see. Um, right. Forecast was the Azorius mechanic. Haunt was the Orzov mechanic. Demir had Transmute, Replicate was for Izzet, Rakdos had Hellbent, Golgari had Dredge. Obviously. Gruel, I think, was Bloodthirst, which is now an Evergreen... No, it's not an Evergreen mechanic, it just reappeared in 2012. Come on. Uh, uh, oh, Boros has the mechanic which cares about colours. Come uh, on, I need a name. I need a name. Okay, it's not Chroma. It's... Do, 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 do. Radiance. There we go. Selesnia had Convoke, and Simic had Graft. That sounds good. You know what? I'm going to accept all of those answers. I'm not 100% sure if Excellent. I'm Excellent. Right. That's 100% correct. Boom. Okay, so I won the pop quiz. Well done. Okay. You beat yourself. Yay! Okay. How do you feel? 
Uh, mildly intelligent. Okay, excellent. Right, let's move on to our first group topic. There shall be no personal topics because, in case you've noticed, Gay Crash has started to be previewed. And frankly, I'd rather talk about Gay Crash than what I've been doing in the last week because that did not involve any magic whatsoever. So the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about all the new guild mechanics. Now, we haven't officially had the comprehensive rules text specifying exactly what each of these mechanics do. However, we have seen previews of all five, so I shall just go into details about what they are, for which guild they're from, and roughly what they do. So, talking about Boros, which is the white-red guild, we have Battalion. Now, Battalion is a... It's kind of the opposite to the um, Exalted, isn't it, really? Where, like, one creature attacks. Yes, Battalion says whenever card name, so whatever this creature is, and at least two other creatures attack, then something happens. So, Battalion is an ability keyword, so... Battalion in and of itself doesn't mean anything. It just infers what the rest of it, what the rest of the card is roughly going to say. It's a bit like Fateful Hour, where Fateful Hour always required you to have five or less life. However, the effects were always different. So with Battalion, the trigger with Battalion is when this creature and at least two other creatures attack, X. something happens. Or like Tribe in Wild TCG, like when another Tauren comes out, something happens. It could be a different effect each and every time. Indeed. So the first example of Battalion we saw previewed was on Firemane Avenger, which says, Whenever Firemane Avenger and at least two other creatures attack, Firemane Avenger deals three damage to target creature or player, and you gain three life. So, unsurprisingly, Boros is going to be a very aggressive guild. It's potentially not as harsh mm. as the Rakdos mechanic, where you have the choice of, I'm either attacking for lots or defending for not nearly yeah, as impressively. Th- this screams um, this screams a bit aggro. However, at least you can defend. Like At least with Unleash, you have the op- you know, you're saying this is attacking yeah. or this is blocking. No, you're saying this is either attacking or and I'm not blocking and I'm taking the extra damage to try and kick your ass. You, you know, when you, when you slept Unleash, that's it, game over. There's no blocking for you. You're saying, I'm going all out aggro and I think I will do more damage to you faster than you'll do damage to me. Yeah, whereas with Boros, at least you've got the opportunity to block if you need to. Mm-hmm. However, you are going to get nice benefits when you attack. So, just to give another example, that so Firemane Avenger, you do three damage to target creature or player, you gain three life. If we go for a common, then we're looking at the Boros Elite. Now, when it attacks with two, well, at least two other creatures, it gets plus two, plus two. So, Ooh. it's a one drop, one, one, but it can swing as a three, three if it's got friends. That are attacking at the same time. That yeah. are attacking at the same time. This also, it looks like Boris to me is really screaming that you need bodies on the ground. This is not a, uh, I know that generally magic creatures are important and getting bodies on the ground is good, but in this case, you know, for your special abilities to kick off, it's not gonna happen unless you, you know, you're willing to put three guys on the line. Yeah, this does potentially make Boris a bit weaker when it comes to sweepers, cause you do have to commit at least three bodies to the ground. Potentially a fourth if you're worried about the removal just before you swing in. Yeah. So you are slightly more worried about sweepers, but who knows what sweepers are going to be in Gate Crash? I mean, obviously when we're drafting Return to Ravica Gate Crash Sinker, sorry, Dragon Maze, we've got the name for that set now. You know, you're still going to have to worry about Supreme Verdict yeah. as an example, whereas we haven't actually seen, I don't think we've seen anything. That's a lie. We have seen something sweepery. We'll get to that right at the end of the episode. <gasps> Exciting. But anyways, um yeah. yeah. More importantly, at this moment in time, you need bodies on the ground for Boros to really work. You can't just have one big fifteen fifteen annihilate for just ruining their day. Right, <clears throat> moving on to the second new mechanic, we're talking about the Simic Guild, which is green and blue, and they have Evolve. Now, anyone who listens to Mark Rosewater's podcast, Drive to Work, will have heard on a recent episode uh, about the Great Designer Search 2. Now, the winner of the Great Designer Search 2 created this mechanic... And the mechanic reads, Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if that creature has greater power or toughness than this creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. Now this is actually, I think, a really, this is actually, I think, a really exciting ability. To me, this idea that, um, every time, you want the perfect curve almost, because you want to go one, two, you know, three, you know, get the one, one, get your two, two, get your three, three, and it builds up from there, and suddenly you've got this one, one that started off kind of a little bit piddly and a bit useless. By the time you get to turn five, if he's still there, he's not really that exciting. But now, 
when you get to turn five and you've been playing out regularly your monsters, suddenly this one one is suddenly looking at five five two and your board's looking a lot more scary. I think it's really exciting. So one of the potential downsides, I mean, we haven't seen many of all creatures, but they look rather weak, especially when you consider how much mana you're paying for them. Now, a rare is generally maybe a bit odd to look at, but for example, Fava Mage, which is one of the rares they've shown us, for four mana you get a 1-1. One, one. I mean, I don't want to be paying four mana for a 1-1. One, one. That's, that's, for limited, that's worthless, I would say. However, if we look at another card... Mm-hmm. The Cloudfin Raptor, it's an 0-1 flyer with Evolve for one. Now that's a lot better, however, an 0-1 blocker, if you somehow can't get more Evolve working. The Simic is another guild which is going to require creatures. Potentially, you're not needing quite as much as Boros, because if you get the 1-1, the 2-2, and the 3-3, you got three three threes. assuming they've all got Evolve, which would be really nice. And then you could potentially just stop. Sorry. But unlike Boros, you're not constantly needing to constantly make sure you always have that number of creatures out. You yeah, can get exactly. one, maybe you could just get one really big evolve creature, and if that just stays alive, then that's you fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, its ability isn't lost when you lose other creatures, which is kind of powerful. But at that same time, you know, that's a good ability, but like you said, generally, a zero one one for one even though it's got flying and evolve, sounds really cool, but if you lose it, it's you haven't lost that much, I suppose. No, actually, you know what? Zero one for one with evolve and flying is actually pretty hot. I can't argue with that card. The problem is, it is completely useless unless you play another creature yeah, exactly. after it. Now, do note, it evolve is looking for a creature to enter the battlefield. It's not looking to look for an evolving creature to enter the battlefield. It's not like you need evolving creatures no. to hit evolving creatures to evolve. You can put a fight bear out, and it'll still get it. Yes. And also note, it's greater power or toughness. So if you are, say, somehow playing Armory Guard, now it may only have power 2, but it's got toughness 5, so it will keep evolve, will help your creatures evolve ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. Well, up to 6 sixes, but... Yeah, exactly. And quite, of course, you know, evolve with, with something like a flicker is quite awesome. Assuming the creature flickers back bigger than the new evolved creature, of course. Well, it doesn't have to. That's one of the things. If it's something like Armory Guard, like you said, which is like a 2-5, and I've got that sitting at a 3-3, he comes out, it becomes a 4-4. I flicker it, it becomes a 5-5. This is true. Well, in this case, a 4-5, but still. Of course, something is going wrong if you're drafting Armory Guard and Cloudfin Raptor in the same set. I think you'll find that something amazing. Something amazing. It will be amazing once Dragon Maze is out. Yes, it will be. Moving on to the next mechanic, we're talking about the Demir, or the non-existent 10th guild, which apparently doesn't exist except for it totally does, and it is the blue-black guild. Now, its ability is wordy. It's called Cypher. So the idea with Cypher is this is always going to be on instance or sorceries, as far as I can tell, because, you know, you do your instant sorcery effects, so let's take, for example, Unsummon, you know, return target creature to its owner's hand. And then if it has Cypher after it, it reads, Then you may exile the spell card encoded on a creature you control. Whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player, its controller may cast a copy of the encoded card without paying its mana cost. Now, this is really complicated. So let's, let's just assume Unsummon has Cypher on it. So what you do, you cast Unsummon. You target a creature, it returns to its controller's hand. Then you have the option to exile Unsummon basically attaching it to a creature you control. This is what encoded means. You're basically attaching it. Then whenever that creature you've got happens to do common damage to a player, you can then recast Unsummon for free. But it's not targeting the creature that you've encoded it no, into. No, you, you it's get... literally like you're just casting Unsummon again. Yes. Now, I'm presuming this is not going to appear on a modular spell, you know, like uh, Azorius Char... Well, a Demir charm, so you're not going to have to worry about picking which mode or anything like that. I imagine all the cipher cards will simply have text, this is what the spell does, and then it gets ciphered or encoded. Yeah, when when I'm cast, I do stuff. So you're not going to have to worry about picking, like, X cost. I, I mean, I'm assuming they're not going to do anything, because that could really boggle your mind, but... I was going to say, it's going to be, um... It's quite an interesting way of wording it all, I have to say, for Cypher. I'm sure you could have explained. I understand that they have to be quite explicit with how they word things, because, you know, if, you don't, if you're not explicit, then it makes loopholes and that becomes a problem. And then the rat has come out and everybody cries. But I'll be honest, reading that text all in one big block for a new player, that's going to be quite frightening. I mean, to be honest, it's it's probably as complicated as Soul Bond was, and I imagine that Cypher will be 
more clearly explained when the comprehensive rules come out. And to be honest, if you do get stuck, throw your hand up, shout judge. Yeah. If in doubt, ask a judge. Now, one interesting thing with Cypher, as I say, it's always on spell cards, and Cypher should always appear after the spell's effect. So, one interesting thing you can do with Cypher is on the card Call of the Nightwing, which is previewed. It's cost two, a blue and a black. It's a sorcery. And what it does, it creates a 1-1 blue and black horror creature with flying on the battlefield. With Cypher. Which means you can create this 1-1 token and then put Cypher on it. And then if that 1-1 token happens to hit the enemy player, you get a second flying token. Now that token doesn't in and of itself have Cypher and you can't move the Cyphers around or anything like that. But you don't need a creature for Call of the Nightwing to work. Call of the Nightwing creates your creature, then you can Cypher onto it. Yeah, but two blue and the blacks, but but heavy in the cost just for a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, it, it's... it's. Uh, I mean, I can see that being kind of interesting. Uh, no, never. Actually, it's just bad. It's good if they have no flyers, but beyond that... No. I mean, I don't really want to go into the cards specifically just at the moment, but Call of the Nightwing looks pretty weak from initially looking at it, but we have only seen a few cards. Yeah. Right, moving on to Gruel, which is the green and red guild. Now, again, they've got an ability... Ability word, so it's called Blood Rush, and this is really complicated to um, template, so I'm going to try to explain it. So Blood Rush has a mana cost, which requires you to also discard the card you're holding. Now this is probably always going to be a creature card. And then it says, target attacking creature gets plus X, plus Y until end of turn, and abilities. So as an example of Blood Rush, uh, on the Vishino Shanktail, now this is a 3-1 creature. However, the Blood Rush ability specifically reads, two and a red, discard Vashino Shanktail, target attacking creature gets plus three, plus one, and gains first strike. Oh, sorry, I should have said this is a, this is a three, one first strike creature. So, it looks like Blood Rush is a mana cost, discard a creature, and then you're giving an attacking creature plus power equal to the creature you discarded, plus toughness equal to the creature discarded, and any relevant keywords. So in this particular instance, first strike. And what's also interesting about this, this Blood Rush ability is that the the shank tail normally costs three in the red. The blood rush is one cheaper at two in the red. Yeah, this it's not always one cheaper. Looks like now there's a there's a really big green guy which I'm not going to get into the details to, but he costs he's an eight drop. But the blood rush ability is a seven cost. However, there is a rare creature which I think is a five cost, and the blood rush is only a three cost. So blood rush is not necess- is probably always going to be cheaper. So it's not as bad as say scavenge. However, it's not going to be. Guaranteed to be one cheaper. Yeah. We don't know. No, we haven't seen enough. And because Blood Rush is an ability word, it's not a keyword ability, mm-hmm. then it doesn't have a fixed definition. Yeah, exactly. We also don't know if it's always going to be the the power and toughness of a creature, do we? Again, again that could be totally up for grabs because Blood Rush means nothing in and of itself. Yeah. But from what we've seen, it's always... You gain power equal to the power of the creature, gain toughness equal to the power, uh, the toughness of the creature, and then whatever uh, abilities what they've, yeah, keyworded abilities they've got. Mm. Right, finally, moving on to Orzov, and this is potentially my favorite mechanic. It's called Extort. You would love it, wouldn't you? So Extort, uh, sorry, Orzov is a white black guild. The ability is called Extort, and this does have a fixed definition. Whenever you cast a spell, you may pay either white or black. If you do, each opponent loses one life and you gain that much life. Now, Extort has only currently been seen on creatures, but it could be a bit like Exalted where it could appear on other cards. So that means you have an Extort creature in play. Then you play another spell. As an additional cost to the spell, you may pay a single black or a single white mana, and then you do one damage to each opponent and you gain that much life. Having a whole bunch of Extort creatures in play allows you to drain a lot of life from your opponents, mm. however you're going to need that extra mana available. Again, I don't think this is... It, it sounds cool, but it's just they lose one life and you gain one life, so... Um, although I think it's interesting how it says each opponent loses one life and you gain that much life. Because if you happen to be playing in a multiplayer environment, then say you're playing playing casually around the kitchen table with three of your friends, you extort, they each lose one life, and but then you gain three. So that's kind of... that's It's good in the multiplayer environment, certainly, but I'm not sure if it's particularly... Powerful and limited. I don't know. I, I mean, certainly wouldn't make me go that guild. Um, it, uh, to be honest, that is making me want to go Orzov. I'm stuck between Orzov and Simic. I'm, I'm very tempted. I'm very tempted by the Simic, yes. I can understand that. I mean, 
I just think with Orzov, it always means if you have spare mana, then you can do something with it. Now, admittedly, it's not... You can spend any amount of white and or black mana. So you can't, say, play a one-cost spell and then spend your other four planes mm. to drain them for four life. It's not like that. It's it's always capped at one for each extort creature or card with extort in yeah. play. So if you got three of them, then, and you got three spare mana, you could drain them for three and gain three. But I think it... I suppose paying one to make them lose a life and you gain a life is pretty cheap. It's not bad. I mean, especially... I mean, okay, yeah, sure, there's red spells which do more damage. But you're in black and white here, and you're doing it without having to spend a card. What are you complaining about? I think it's pretty good. Mm, it's reasonable. I mean, getting a swing in the health tools in the tool of two is pretty decent, whatever you say. Mm. And then if you're just pumping out creatures at that point, you get a swing for eight or ten. That suddenly gets very interesting very quickly. Yeah. Right, those are each of the mechanics. Now, I'm sure once we get the comprehensive rules text, I will go into specifically how they work, and I'll try to catch Steve out on whether it's one or two abilities, but um, until then, that's roughly how they all work. Uh, Blood Rush is definitely the most sort of vague one out there, but um, hopefully you were able to follow on. Right, let's move on to another regular feature, a perennial regular feature, I think I can say. Name that card. Now, it would be a bit unfair of me to actually test Liz on Return to Ravnica, because I don't actually think you've played terribly much of Return to Ravnica. Uh, I think I've played one draft. And you were at the pre-release, if I remember correctly. I think I was at a pre-release, yes. That's what they're called these days. But, however, Liz is, unfortunately, a dirty WoW player. You play the WoW TCG, don't you? Oh, yeah. So it would be really unfair for me to test her on Name That Card. I suppose unless I use a WoW card, but I'm not going to delve that darkly into um, another card game. However, I will let her test me on Return to Ravnica cards and see if um, I can be quick off the mark. Right, so I've got in front of me here a Return to Ravnica booklet full of all of the cards that are available for Return to Ravnica. And I'm just going to pick one at random, which I've done so. And all I'm going to do is describe the picture or give the flavour text, depending on how I feel. I would totally start with flavour text because I have been able to guess cards based on that before. Okay, so let's start with this one that actually has flavour text. He has no patience for minds that do not inspire him or explode by trying. I... He does not have patience... He has no patience. He has no... Okay, I want to say this is one of two cards. Okay. It sounds very izzity, and I'm presuming it is one of the two card draw spells, which would be Inspiration or Thought Flare. What's the Thought Seize. You think it's one of those two cards? Yeah, and I'm going to say... Considering it starts with, he has no patience. Oh. You're like, saying it, You're saying it's not one of those two, are I, you? I'm just implying that you okay, may be okay. completely wrong. Okay, in which case, you may give me more information as you desire. Um, the dude in the front looks pretty regal. Um, oh, this... No. It can't uh, be Niv. And his, uh... I think they're called Fronds. The pretty majestic-y... Niv Mizzard Draco Genius. There we go. Okay, so I was right with the Izzet, I just wasn't thinking, um... You were, you were in the... We weren't thinking high enough on the Izzet scale. Okay, exactly. Okay, let's, let's, let's pick another one. What, what looks good? What feels, uh... I, I, re- I really hope you pick one Steve's already picked, just for hilarity. Oh, that's, that's gonna be difficult, because this is at random, you know. You could randomly stumble across something. Okay, here we go, here we go, we'll pick this. Uh, the flavour text is... Every inch of Ravnica is home to something. Every inch of Ravnica is home to something. Now, that instantly wants—I instantly want to say Kogari something, but mm-hmm. every inch of Ravnica is. Hmm, hmm. Would you like some description of the picture? No, I—I don't know if picture is a good place to start. Maybe we should start with artist. I think picture uh, may be too easy potentially. Okay, the artist is testing my eyesight in this light. Trevor Claxton. Yeah, okay, that doesn't actually help. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't think it would. I didn't think it was I mean I mean occasionally if you say something like Jason Chan, I'm a big fan of Jason Chan's work. And but... you'd immediately get it. But in this case, yeah. you're not Poor Trevor. I'm your fan, Trevor. Okay, let's go with the picture then. Um Well, I'll be honest, he's uh he's very protective. He's very protective. Yeah, but but you know, he's kind of made up of lots of different uh green bits. So yeah. And he's kind of hanging down. Oh, 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 oh. Ah, uh, Trestle Troll. Oh my god, you're so far away. 
I'm not, it's not Trestle Troll. No. Okay, it's, he's hanging down. I would, oh, I, if I read this, and oh, it's not Arc Weaver. No, no, give up. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm it, not giving up. You can... I, I would say that if I was reading the title, I would naturally say Gatekeeper, but would fail miserably. Oh, Gatekeeper vibe. Hey, okay. I'm awesome at describing cards. Okay, uh, I. I will. I will read one more, shall uh, I? Okay, a final one. A final one. This okay. is like a bumper issue of. Yes, bumper Me not issue. doing well. This is awesome. I like it when you fail. Um, okay, let's go for this one. I will read the flavor text again. We will defend the world soul from its progress at any cost. We will defend the world soul from its progress. Okay, so it's Selesnian. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, she's pretty hot. She is pretty hot. Um, yeah. and, uh, oh, no, got... Tristani. Nope, she's got spear, though. Wait, 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 wait. And she wait. could have got her back to me, but kind of looking over her shoulder in a... Dryad Militant. Yeah, there we go. Interestingly okay. enough, that is one card Steve has picked before, but he never described it in such a way. Well, I'm just going to say that the way her neck's turning, that's going to give her a really bad cramp with her with her hips turned that way as well. So. This is the, the original Dryad Militant as opposed to the full art Games Day version. Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, if you look at that, she's got her head kind of going all over her shoulder while only twisting her hips a little bit. So she's completely disaligning her spine. She's going to see, see a... They, they don't need a spine. They got... They got what? Trees? Trees, Craig? Is that what you're going to say? Dryad's got trees? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. She's a tree person. They don't have proper spines. Let's move on to our second group topic, and saying it is spoiler season for Gatecrash, we're going to basically have a look at quite a lot of the spoiled cards as of the 2nd of January 2013. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to start with the five pre-release cards. Now, I'm quite glad uh, they showed the pre-release cards today, because otherwise I was going to assume uh, incorrectly what the pre-release cards were going to be based on what they revealed. So fortunately, Wizards have saved me from embarrassment. But Hooray! Let's talk about the pre-release cards. So we will start off with the Orzov. Treasury Thrall costs four and white and black. It is a Thrall creature. It's, they're all rare, unsurprisingly, and it has the extort ability. So when you cast a spell, you may play black or white, and if you do, each opponent loses life, and you gain that much life. And it reads, whenever Treasury Thrall attacks, you may t- return target artifact, creature, or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. Finally, he's a 4-4. forgot to mention that part. Well, I mean, I like it because, yeah, it's a 6-drop, but it's a 4-4, and if Gatecrash happens to be anything like Return to Ravnica, being above that magical 3 barrier is a good thing, because being 3 on either toughness or defense is a big deal. So being above that is really cool. I would say right now that that doesn't excite me. I mean, I don't know enough about the set to go, well, am I going to have... A lot of things that I'm gonna to want to return from my graveyard to my hand. I you, don't know. You're always gonna. I mean, creatures are going to die. Creatures are gonna die, but am I gonna to want to take the effort of going right? You need. He needs to attack, so I'm risking his life just to get another creature back from my graveyard. He's a four-four. He can probably attack reasonably safely, I would imagine. Uh, two. Yeah, but who's gonna to want to keep him around? I don't think he's. Re- I. I would say, in my very obviously high experience. That a six or four four is probably looks exciting, but it wouldn't make me go ors off at a pre-release. I mean, a Millie Treasury Thrill itself doesn't make me want to go ors off. It's extort, as as uh, personally the the ability is what makes me interested. Yeah, but... but as my rare, he doesn't excite me at all. He does not give me that warm fuzzy feeling that makes me go, I want to keep using this. I mean, that's true. I mean, Treasury Thrill, I possibly wouldn't. Oh, I mean, obviously we haven't seen all the set, we've barely seen any of it, but I wouldn't necessarily point. go, I mean, that or removal, would I first pick it over removal? I'm not wholly convinced at this present time, so. No, yeah. exactly. I, I, yeah, true, maybe it's not terribly exciting. I it's, mean, no, it's not, it's not a card that makes me want to go, oh my god, I want that card. But, you know, saying that, we're saying this now, we haven't seen the whole set, no. so, you know, you know, we could be, uh, regretting our words in, in a couple of weeks' time. Easily. Let's move on to Demir's uh, pre-release uh, oh, card. Wall of text. Yes. Uh, consuming Aberration. It costs three, a blue, and a black. It is a creature horror. Consuming Aberration's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyard. So you are wanting things to be in their graveyards. Whenever you cast a spell, each opponent reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a land card, then puts those cards into his or her graveyard. Oh! Yeah. While the second part makes Consuming Aberration get a lot bigger 
very quickly. The problem is you are going to need something in the opponent's graveyard to start off with, so consuming aberration doesn't come out as a zero zero. Don't yeah, make that mistake. Yeah, but still, it costs five. I mean, admittedly, something should be in their graveyard in, after it, that. If it's not in their graveyard by that point, you're doing something probably very wrong. And then whenever you cast a spell, they mill... Now, admittedly, they may only mill one. But, you know, you're That's casting a spell... Time. Yeah, you're casting a spell as an additional effect from whatever spell you're casting, you're getting able to mill them at least one. Now, Judge, I've got a question for you here, just to remind me. Mm-hmm. Creatures count as spells. Creatures do count as spells. So, so when you think about it, you're going to put this guy out, and he's going to be amazing. And then every time you bring out some backup to support him... Oh my god, he gets better! This is true. I and then mean, you respond to their spells. Now note, with Cypher, you cast spells. Yes. So say you hit and you get to Cypher some stuff. Now, Amelia, this is going to be after combat damage, but your consuming aberration is going to get bigger. Yeah. It's just... it's just Wow. Yeah. So I think this is... I, now, that card makes you sit there and kind of go... Okay, you are... Although you cost five, I think you could be really powerful if you build a deck around it. I think yeah. if you if you keep in mind that's your card, you can make something pretty, pretty amazing. I think you can do a lot of work. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a bomb. I think that's a straight-up bomb right now. I'm, I don't know. I mean, it is entirely feasible that if you're playing this turn five or turn six, they may only have one card in the graveyard. It is possible. Uh, unlikely, I think, but yeah, possible. I think anywhere between one and three is the likely number, so you're doing five mana for a three-three initially, but if you can follow that up with a spell from Cypher, potentially, because yeah, you're not going to have really much mana spare oh, but, when you play it. But one Cypher later and it all gets very exciting. Yeah, one Cypher later it's a five-five, and then, yeah, we can ignore this two-three-four power toughness issue, which exactly. I've mentioned previously. Right, moving on, Gruul's preview card, uh, sorry, pre-release card and preview card, is Rubble Hulk. Now, it is a XX, which we'll get to in a sec, which is costs four red and a green. It's an elemental, and Rubble Hulk's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. So we can say, unlike Consuming yeah. Aberration, this will be a 6-6 six, six when it comes into play unless, well, I suppose unless you are actually using uh, Gruul Kirun. But it's gonna, let's say a 5-5 five, five minimum. So 5-5 five, five for 6, it's okay. It also has the Blood Rush ability. So for 1, a red and a green, and discarding Rubble Hulk, target attacking creature gets plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of lands you control. Again, I find this card really exciting, because unlike uh, our previous card, you know that it's going to come out and be straight up, I'm on the table and I'm actually quite scary. Second of all, if you are in a situation of a game and you've hit turn three, you're sitting there going, the way this game's going right now, I'm really not sure if I'm going to hit turn six. He's got a second option. Yeah, I mean... I'm a, yeah, you... The second option isn't great, but it's better than just having a card sitting in your hand. I mean, obviously the good thing is, well, after they declare blockers, you discard it, then you have a massive pump spell for three mana. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty hefty pump spell. I mean, we have seen better in other... Expansions in the past, but not anything like this in Return to Ravnica, to the best of my knowledge. I think this is quite powerful. Yeah, and um, yeah, he's. He, I, I, I do like the flexibility of Blood Rush, where you know you can either have this nice big meaty creature, which is Rubble Hulk, or just an awesome pump spell. Yeah, I think it's again. If I I'm if I had to choose between um, our last card, uh, which was Consuming Aberration and Rubble Hulk, I would probably pick Rubble Hulk first. I think I would actually sit there and go, yeah, because. I have more options. It's not just going to be a card that's going to sit in my my hand and be useless. Well, I can actually turn it around and go, right, well, I'd rather have a plus three plus three right now than, you know, never make it to turn six. True. Moving on, Boros, their card is Foundry Champion. It is also a six drop at four, a red and a white. It is an elemental soldier, and he looks awesome. When Foundry Champion enters the battlefield, it deals damage to target creature or player equal to the number of creatures you control. So again, this is feeding into Boros's concept of it wants guys on the ground, preferably swinging. For red, you may pump it plus one plus oh until end of turn. For white, you may pump it plus oh plus one until end of turn. And it is a four four when it comes onto the field. Yeah, I uh, it's I certainly like it more than Treasury Thrall. <laughs> because, um, because I can do more. Because it's far more useful. And the fact that it, you can pump it for so cheap, I mean, sure, you're only talking about plus one, plus zero, plus zero, plus one, 
But it makes opponents think twice. And if you've taken it out, and it's cost you at least six, you know next turn, the chances are you're going to pump it up by at least plus one, plus five, or plus five, plus one. So, depending on what your mana, you know, mix-up is at this point on the table, you've already got him out. So, he's pretty scary. Yeah, I like the fact that, I mean, fire breathing is very good for just taking out guys, and that's what a lot of cheap red creatures do. You just pump them up, they become four ones, five ones, they die in exchange for killing some big thing. It's nice that Foundry Champion could do this whilst still having the ability to keep itself alive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you can swing in, and you can see how they block before you start spending the mana or anything like this. Exactly. And if they, you know, it's, it's, he seems like he can be very reactive to the situation, he, you know, they're put in. But I still think he is weaker than Rebel Hulk. Because I've still got, again, he costs six and he's a four four, which is nice. I mean, like you said, four four is quite interesting in return to Ravnica. Yeah. We don't know how interesting it is in Gatecrash, but you know, I think we can suspect it's something along the similar lines. Hopefully. But, it's still a case of, I have to hit turn six to use you. Rubble Hulk still gives me an option at turn three. So, I, I still pick Rubble Hulk, but I'm not, I certainly wouldn't disregard Foundry Champion by any stretch of the imagination. And finally, moving on to our fifth and final one, the Simic card is Favimage. Now, it is a measly 1-1 one, one for 4. It's 2, a green and a blue. It is a human wizard with a wolf. So that 1-1 one, one probably won't stay a 1-1 one, one for long. However, it does say whenever a plus 1-plus one, plus 1 counter is placed on Favimage, you may draw a card. That's powerful, but it's way too expensive. I mean, it's a powerful card. It's a cool card. I mean... It's going to get bigger. It's not going to stay at a 1-1. Drawing cards is always awesome. Yeah. But you're getting it out on turn 4, probably at the earliest. Maybe turn 3 at a push? Come on! By that point, a 1-1's pointless. Well, I'd, I mean, you got. I mean, this is not a creature you're probably attacking, certainly not blocking with, because you're wanting it for that, that second part. You know, whenever it gets a counter, you may draw a card. Yeah, it's a card draw mechanism, but... I I think it has a lot of potential to be really good, because, I, I mean, at turn four, once you're getting later on, because you're only being able to evolve in turn five, you're needing to start replenishing your hand, and this is a great sure. way to do it. Sure. I, I admit, at the pre-release, I would certainly be tempted by that, but... And in some ways it's more powerful than Rubble Hulk, because Rubble Hulk's nice and big, but this gives me more chances to get going in the game. Yeah, card advantage is... Is always nice. Yes. But at that same note, if this was a draft, and I opened this in a draft, and this was my rare, I'd probably be a little bit sad. I think I'd be sad if I opened this in a draft. I think it can do... It can potentially do a lot of work. It can do a lot of work, but it's... It's not going to win me a game. I will also say there's a card coming forever down which makes Fava Mage a lot better. Okay, I'll wait till I, I will reserve judgment until I see that next card. Okay, there there's a there, uh, specifically the Simic Guild Mage will make this a lot better. Now I do want to say one thing about Fava Mage. If I was going purely for aesthetics, Fava Mage is a pre-release card I would take because it is beautiful artwork. Yeah, I mean again she's going to have serious back problems, but I think she's amazing. Don't worry, Simic Evolve, they're they're evolutionary. Yeah, she still killed herself from that angle. No, they they don't need spines. They're made out of water and magic. Oh, okay. Well, they're not really, but, you know. Well, she needs to go to a magic chiropractor, I'm telling you that much. Hmm. Continuing on with sort of special cards. So those are all the pre-release cards. They've obviously all got all that art. They're all being foil, and when you go to your gate crash pre-release, you can play them in your decks, assuming you actually open enough stuff to, say, play it. Because I went for Is It, and I basically played Rakdos, because I opened Rakdos, Lord of Riots... Carnival Hellsteed, and then just kind of went, yeah, I guess this, you know, hypersonic dragon could fit in there somewhere, so, you know. <laughs> it can happen, but anyways. Um, the launch weekend card, which will be available at, I believe, the first F&M afterwards, this should be the 1st of February, based on the text on the card, is the Skarg Goliath. Now, this is a potentially impossible to cast 8-drop. It's 6, a green, and a green. It is a 9-9 for the effort. It's not quite as outlandish as World Spine Worm. It's a beast. It has trample, so 9 with trample is always nice. And it does have blood rush. For 7, 5 green and green, you may discard it and give attacking creature plus 9, plus 9, and trample to end of turn. It is a meaty beast. It is an unplayable meaty beast. I Yeah, unless... 
No. Gate Crash is slower than Return to Ravnica. Eight drop is not really happening. Yeah, you're right. We don't know how fast the game is, but right now it looks pretty useless. It's a cool card, and it's got some cool stuff on it. I wouldn't play it. Now, as a spell, as a seven mana, I win the game spell... It is playable, potentially, but it does depend on the speed of the format. Um, even then, it's a push. I mean, I think unless the format's really managed to slow down, in which case it's going to make it really awkward for the rest of the block, it's probably going to be... If you're casting this, something's gone wrong. I don't think... I, I think as a spell, it's 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 possibly playable as a finisher. Nah, it's not... No. I'm happy to disagree. Okay. Right, now, the card I was talking about, which makes Fathom Age potentially better, the Gatecrash Game Day card. Now, this is the card everyone will get if they, well, I think everyone will get if they turn, turn up to Game Day. It could maybe be just the top 16 or the top 32. This is not the top 8 card, anyway. Is the Zamek Guild Mage. Now, this is a Simic Guild Mage. Like all the other Guild Mages, it's a 2-2. It costs 2 mana, specifically green and blue. And it is a creature elf wizard. Now, for green and a blue... This turn, each creature you control enters the battlefield with additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Now, the important thing to remember with this, if you're doing that ability, and then you're playing your Fathom Mage as an example, it will come in as a 2-2. Two, two. But it won't get the counter, will it? It won't get the draw card ability. Now, it won't get the draw card ability, and also that means it's potentially harder to then evolve it afterwards, mm-hmm. unless you're using this ability each turn, in which case you're based in the same place as you were before, but... Yeah, remember, they're coming in slightly bigger, so that effects evolve both ways, insofar as they're coming in as... Fathom Mage will come in as a 2-2, and will evolve any 1-1s or 1-2s or 2-1s, but then afterwards you're going to need at least a 3-3 to evolve it further. Or a 2-3, or a 3-2. Yeah. Also for green and blue, so both of these abilities cost the same. However, you also need to remove a plus one, plus one counter from a creature you control, you get to draw a card. Now, I'll be honest with you, that just got me a little bit excited. Yeah, so you play... Your your Fathom Mage. Yeah. You play your Fathom Mage as a 1-1. You play Zamic Guild Mage as a 2-2, evolving your Fathom Mage and drawing a card. Then in your next turn, you remove that plus one, plus one counter from your Fathom Mage, you, you draw. draw another card, and then you play down another 2-2, and it gets to re-evolve, and you've drawn three cards. Oh. In two turns for possibly, like, four mana. Well, f- four or six mana. Anyways, I mean, paying two mana for drawing a card plus other stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, the artwork looks pretty cool. The artwork is very cool. I mean, that's really makes Fathom Mage more interesting. I wouldn't say it changes my judgment on her. No, think. no. But I can see... That screams that, that Simic's going to have some awesome combos. Yeah, this, this is definitely this this is is part a, of a combo somewhere. Yeah, you can see adding things, taking away things. It's going to get pretty exciting. Right, now, I could literally go through absolutely every one of the preview cards, but I won't. So there are four more cards I will talk about, and uh, then we'll leave it there. So the fourth to last card, Clan Defiance, is a gruel card. It costs X, red, and green. It's a sorcery. Choose one or more. Clan Defiance deals X damage to target creature with flying, so it's a bit of a fireball. Clan Defiance deals X damage to target creature without flying, so it's now twice a fireball. Or Clan Defiance deals X damage to target player. So it's three fireballs in one. And it's choose one or more, so you could do all three of those, can't you? Yeah, so if you have a a creature which flies on the other side of the table, a creature which doesn't fly on the other side of the table, and a player on the other side of the table, and you kind of need one if you're going to cast a spell, then, yeah, you get a three-for-one cooking combo. I think I just got... Oh. Now, this is something I want to open and grab and run that with. Is, that is a slam pick. That is hitting... If I if I open that in the pack, that's slapping the table so fast. And that certainly interests me more than Street Spasm, which I always found for the overload cost was horrendously expensive. You need to spend 8 mana to kill all those centaurs. Here, you only need to cast 5 mana. Sure, you're only killing one centaur, but you're also killing one of their flyers, and you're hitting them for 3 in the face. I'm quite happy to do that for 5 mana. Yes, I'm pretty comfortable to do 9 points of damage. For three mana. Five mana. Whatever. Some mana. Right. Now, they have shown us two out of the five guild leaders. And like all the other guild leaders, they still cost double of each of their colours. So the first one is Obzadat, Ghost Council. This is the Orzov guild leader. It costs one, double white, double black. It's a legendary creature, Spirit Advisor. 
And when Obzadat, Ghost Council, enters the battlefield, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So it's a bit of a free extort sort of thing on it. At the beginning of your end step, you may exile Obzadat. If you do return to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next upkeep, it gains haste. It's also 5-5. Now, I quite like this because you come into play, it is, it, it's life swings for four. Then, if you don't want it threatened, you can basically exile it. Sure, it can't defend for you, but when it comes back, it's doing another four life swing, and then swinging for five due to the fact it has haste. It could effectively cause a nine-point health swing. Yes. Dropping your opponent by seven and increasing you by two. That's um, a five-five for five. Let, 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 let's forget these special abilities. You've got five-five yeah. five for five. That is good. Now, there's two doubles there, two white, two black, but if you're playing with those colours, that shouldn't be a problem. You, it comes in the game, it first does a health swing for four, and then it's doing health swings for nine straight after that. Yeah, it's basically like Unleashed, it can't block, but hell, I don't think you have to worry about that at this point. But it can't block, and effectively it's got Shroud, because it can't be targeted by anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, sure, you can do an instant straight away, you know. Yeah, but then they need to keep the mana back, and yeah. you potentially see it coming. And Exactly, and you can work around it. Yeah. So, 5-5 five, five for 5 is hot already. The rest of those numbers just get me a bit excited. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty good. Now, to be honest, the next guild leader is a lot cooler. This is Lazav Demir Mastermind. Oh, yeah. Now, he's Demir, unsurprising. He's double blue, double black. He is a legendary creature shapeshifter. He's a 3-3 three, three with hexproof. Which instantly, I'm quite happy. I mean, 3-3 three, three for Hexproof for 4, yes. Yes. A lot better as you continue on. Whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, and you may be milling, remember, you may have Lozav Demir Mastermind become a copy of that card. Except his name is still Lozav Demir Mastermind. It's legendary in addition to its other types, and it gains Hexproof, and it gains this ability. So whenever something goes to the graveyard on your opponent's side of the table, you can become that and yep. Hexproof. Just imagine that for a second against Reanimator decks. Now, yeah, uh, this is the fir- this is the first thing I said when I saw it against a Reanimator deck. They're trying to put all their Reanimate targets in the graveyard, and you go, "Oh yeah, oh, sure. I'll, I mean, I'll take your World Spine Worm as a key example, as we previously mentioned. I'll take World Spine Worm. I'll be a fifteen fifteen legendary hexproof creature with trample. Why, why are you looking at me with shock and awe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and if something better comes along later on, which is unlikely if it's that, but if something better comes, if a better deal comes along later, I'll become that too. I'm yeah. cool with that. Yeah. Oh, and you can't directly affect me unless you've got something that does damage to all the creatures. You know, something that doesn't target. Lazav is ridiculous. He is four. He's hot. Now, admittedly, double blue, double black. That doesn't mean you're getting him turned four because mana. Yeah, blah blah blah. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. He, oh no, he's out on turn five. Woe is me. Yeah, and then I'll be the best thing I can now kill or mill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Killing and milling. That's, that is probably actually Demir's slogan if they don't have one. Killing and milling. Right, I have left the best to last. Now, going off on a brief aside. Now, when I first saw Gay Crash, they, they previewed it. I can't remember if it was PAX or as a Gen Con, but they, they showed the picture of Aurelaria, Aurelaria and Gideon. And they said, well, somebody's picked his guild. Clearly saying, Gideon, he's Boros's man. And now everybody's been saying, Gideon, when we see the new Gideon, he's going to be white, he's going to be red, and he's going to be awesome. And that's exactly what I assumed. We've now seen Gideon. He is white. He's not red. He is a mono-white Gideon again, which, hmm. after assuming Jace was allied with it and expecting a red-blue Jace... And then after expecting Gideon was going to be Boros, and expecting a white-red Gideon... Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yes, effectively, that's saying. Um, so, But anyways, irrespective of the fact Gideon is back to being mono... Well, he never was not mono-white, but he's another mono-white Gideon. He's two and double-white, he comes in with four loyalty counters, but oh my goodness, is he amazing. So... I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna start with the top ability, then the bottom ability, then the middle ability. So for plus one loyalty, you may put a loyalty counter on Gideon, Champion of Justice, for each creature target opponent controls. Okay, so think about that for a second. So you're getting one off the bat. And then X, depending on how many creatures they have. So they had three creatures, you're getting four. Yeah, so you're going instantly four loyalty to eight loyalty. Now, why do you need so much loyalty counters? Well, if you look at the big ability, minus 15 loyalty 
which is just ever so slightly ridiculous. However, so is its ability. Exile all other permanents. All of them. So the only thing left in the field... Is Gideon. Is Gideon. And that includes land as well. That includes land. O-M-G. Yes. But why do I just want a Gideon which can only now gain one counter and potentially then exile everything again? Well, because of Gideon's zero ability. Because he has a zero ability. And it's exceptionally wordy. Until end of turn, Gideon Champion of Justice becomes an indestructible human soldier creature. Now we've heard this before. With power and toughness each equal to the number of loyalty counters on him. That's new. He's still a planeswalker and prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. <laughs> so, yeah, Gideon, you play him, you plus one him, he probably is more plus three or four, and then the turn after, I'll have a 7-7 seven, seven indestructible dude, which you can't do anything with, really. Doesn't have trample. So no, he doesn't he, have he trample. Can be, he can be chump blocked. True. But I think I'm okay with that. Or you just keep pumping up Gideon until he gets that magical 15. Yep. And then exile everything else, and then... At this point, someone's going to get decked. This is where you really want Lazav and Gideon... Oh, no, Lazav and Gideon won't both work, because you exile Lazav as everything goes into the graveyard. That's a bit sad. There's no combo going on there. No. Oh, well. But yeah, Gideon. He costs four, he comes up with four loyalty, and if you really want, he can just be a four-four straight away, although he doesn't have haste. Or you can just make him ridiculously huge and then swing in with a ridiculously huge guy or exile everything else. Just remember, actually keep something on Gideon unless you really want to reset the game to Zill because, you know, if Gideon has 15 counters and you exile everything, then you literally clear the table and you can't swing, so. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I would like that card. Yeah. I'm not a massive fan of the pitcher, but. Um, no, it looks that, like... That, to be honest, if the pitcher is the biggest thing I can find to complain about Gideon, then... I'm not sure... I'm not sure... I'd be surprised if that's the final picture as well, because it looks like his head's kind of hitting the champion up there. No, no, you know, g- g- planeswalkers do go over the border, so that's perfectly fine. Oh, okay then. Yeah. I think that's the end of the show. Uh, I wish to say a thank you to the listeners for listening. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, then you can do so via Tumblr, Facebook, Gmail, and or Twitter. Your hosts for this week were me, Craig, and you, Liz. Liz! The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is a royalty-free music license under Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0.